Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America, and welcome to the Friday edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. Yes, it was a short week, but it still felt like a long week, and we made it. We made it to Friday with lots of breaking news. Oh, Anthony Fauci's on the hot seat. Why? Because his own emails don't seem to add up to his public pronouncements. Significant contradictions. He clearly was looking at a lab leak theory early on in the COVID-19 crisis, and uh, he was telling people privately in his emails, these masks don't really work to protect you from virus. In fact, he even suggested the mask be voluntary for nurses and doctors in hospitals. How about that? Pretty big change of tune from what we heard from our public policy health officials last year. Has us all scratching our head. I guess we'll have to wait and see what that's about, right? All right. Well, we've got a busy show today, a threefer. You're getting three incredible guests. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time going over the news. If you need to check the news, you know where to go, justthenews.com. That's where we take care of you all day, all night. Breaking news, investigative news, enterprise, uh, just the facts, just news, no indoctrination, no noise, no effort to make your mind up for you. We're going to write neutrally, give you the facts, and let you make up your own mind. So check it out there. Anytime, any day, you'll be in great shape. All right. On tap today, we got, as I said, a three for three. Great guests. It's a rare day, but we're going into the weekend. I thought, you know what? Let's give you a full menu of food for thought. Uh, up first, we'll have John Zedrazi. He, as a former Bush and Trump administration official, worked at the State Department, worked at the National Security Council, worked at the Homeland Security Department, a true expert on immigration law, among many other things. And he currently runs the Center for Homeland Security and Immigration, part of the uh, America First effort in America, really number one expert on this, plain spoken, to the point, with the facts, doesn't do hyperbole, just gives you the truth. You're going to really enjoy John's discussion. We have so much to talk about, about what's going on at the border, the crisis, the solutions, the inability to enforce the law. One of the things that's remarkable is that every time Trump tried to enforce Actual laws, things that are on the books that they're supposed to enforce. They were getting sued. We're going to talk to John about that. Why does that happen? How does that happen? Obviously, the administration uh, won most of those lawsuits, but it does get you scratching your head that people would ch challenge the government for enforcing the laws in the books. Listen, we don't like the laws. Get Congress to repeal them, but don't sue the administration that's trying to enforce them. That's an, it seems like a common sense point that a lot of people I've talked to say, so you make up your own mind. We'll see. 
All right. Also up today, Bishop Aubrey Shines, one of the great voices in the conservative movement, the head of the conservative clergy of color, a really remarkable voice in the African-American community, in the common sense community. We're going to talk to him about the big lawsuit that dropped this week on Major League Baseball. Yes, Rob Manfred, that commissioner of MLB, he's been sued by the Job Creators Network, the small business group, saying that when he pulled the all-star game out of Atlanta to protest Georgia election law, he violated the rights, the contractual expectations of small businesses in uh, Atlanta. $100 million uh, of lost business. He wants MLB to put up a $100 million fund to help those businesses and return to the game, to the city. What a neat idea. Well, Bishop Aubrey Shines is going to get involved in that lawsuit, I'm told. My sources are telling me that. We're going to ask him. What's he doing? And then we'll talk about the bigger stuff, critical race theory. Is America really an inherently racist country from start to now? Uh, I don't know. Let's see what he has to say. And then a longtime friend of the show, somebody I always joy to bring on. He brings a little laughter. He brings a lot of common sense. He brings uh, lots of energy. He also brings an incredible Instagram uh, audience. He's just a remarkable thinker on the conservative side. Rogan O'Hanley, yes, you love him. You've had him on this show. Uh, you've asked for him back, and he has been gracious to return to the scene of the crime here at John Solomon Reports. And so we'll be talking to Rogan about many of the political issues of the day. So many to talk about. I wonder where we start. All right, that's the show for today. We're real excited. We're going to go do a quick commercial break. Remember, show your love to our sponsors and advertisers. They make the show just the news possible. They're the best. I love their products, their services. If you need them, buy them today. Sign up with them today. They are just amazing. All right, we'll be going to that commercial break when we come back. First up, John Zabrosny coming up. He has a lot to say about the border crisis, including some new revelations. We'll be right back. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer, a beach bum summer, or a wake-me-up-when-the-sun-sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door, in as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. All right, folks, welcome uh, back from the commercial breaks. Uh, we've got a very special guest, somebody who's been on the front lines of the immigration battle for a long time inside the Homeland Security Department, in Congress, uh, previously worked at the State Department, has an extraordinary career, and now is the director of the Center for Homeland Security and Immigration one of the centers inside the America First Policy Institute that is sustaining the policies of uh, the Trump era. His name is John, John Zabrosny, and we welcome him to the show. John, thanks for joining us. Hey, John. Thanks for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. Uh, very grateful. You have been a, uh, a voice of reason for a long time on immigration policy. You've called out the places before it was fashionable where security was at jeopardy. You played a big role in helping to close down the border with the president, get the great policies in place that, that lowered illegal immigration to record lows. Uh, and today you stand and look at all that work having been reversed in just four months, I think, 
Tell us about the impact of the Biden immigration plan. What's really happened and what is the real intent of it? Uh, that's a great question, John. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, we, we did a lot of good work, and uh, I had the privilege of working with a really good team and very dedicated people across the board who actually were putting Americans first in the context of immigration policy. Uh, one of the reasons I think, you know, there's a lot of panic, I guess you could say, over the way the Biden administration is handling or not handling the border. And um, I think one of the reasons it seems so bad, and it is bad, but one of the reasons it seems so bad is because we had done such a good job. Um, we had actually prioritized security. We prioritized anti-fraud efforts. We've done things that literally hadn't been done in decades by either Republican or Democrat administrations. We literally we got sued 20 times every time we enforced a statute that's been on the books for 40 years. It's amazing, isn't it? And um, it really is. It really is. And uh, it makes you wonder, too, if these people who were passing laws back in the day ever had an intention of enforcing it, because these are the same people who sued us when we did. Um, but the, the contrast of what they're doing is so stark that it really just looks like a complete and total shutdown. But one thing I think is important to remember, John, is that this is not an accident. I think there are some people, they use the word crisis. When I hear the word crisis, I think of a tornado or a hurricane or an earthquake. I don't think of a man-made engineered disaster. And that's what this is. This is an engineered problem that's a policy goal of theirs. And I think the reason that's, that goal exists is because they want a critical mass of foreign nationals who are illegally present to crash the system so they can call for an amnesty in about a year. Um, I can't see any other reason why they would do this because there's, I always used to think that national security and public safety was a bipartisan thing, but they're showing it's not. And you have to ask yourself why they want this. It, it is amazing. And the disconnect, and here's something interesting. I, you know, if you do a quick Google search on your name, you'll see all these attacks on you calling you anti-immigrant. And you're not anti-immigrant. You're just pro-enforcement of the current laws on the book. If you don't want the laws, people should get them off the books. But criticizing someone for trying to enforce the laws that Congress passed that are required to be enforced isn't anti-immigrant. It's actually what the Constitution requires. How hard is it for you to look at those headlines and people attack you personally for just doing what the Congress mandated you do in those federal jobs where you worked? I could care less, John. I don't even notice. And I think the people who do the, did the best work in the previous administration didn't even care, and they just kept yeah. pushing ahead. You've got to be worried about the ones who do worry about the headlines because then they stop doing their jobs. And there were quite a few of those folks, too. Sure. Um, but on, on immigration, like my last name is Zidrosny. I clearly didn't come over on the Mayflower. We've got family. <laughs> Good point. America, immigration is key to this republic's health and future. It always is. It always will be. Um, but that's not the same as saying unlawful access is okay. I mean, when, when you turn a blind eye to a border the way Democrats and the Biden administration have, you're essentially giving up on sovereignty. Like a country without borders isn't a country at all. It's just a landmass up for grabs. And um, it's, it's not, this is even bad in a benign context of just people coming illegally. When you add the context of potential terrorism threats, taking advantage of the opportunities that an open border provides, that's an even bigger risk. And I, I don't want this to happen. But what I worry is that something bad is going to happen. And then all of a sudden, people will realize we should have been enforcing the law for all this time. But it's not okay to come here illegally, even if you're not a terrorist, because the reality is, your first point of contact with our country is an illegal act. And I don't really have much hope for you doing engaging in a lawful life after that. I mean, yeah. we see that all the time. We see a lot of them as 13. They've infiltrated the country. And they've taken advantage of our poorest border. And they're smarter They've manipulated our system to the point where we now pay for them to come into the country and house them and help them recruit and then send them out onto their own. So um, 
I wish I could explain why they, they are okay with this scenario, but immigration is important, but it's got to be done legally. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And I think almost all Americans, yourself included, myself included, are pro-immigrant. We just want them to follow the law like our ancestors did when they came to this great country. The yeah. um, Joe Biden has now kicked the border portfolio to his vice president, Kamala Harris, who was very outspoken on immigration issues during the campaign, but really has been almost non-existent at the border. No trips, no real engagement, very little explanation, no offer of relief or help to the sheriffs and the CPB down fighting on the front lines of the crisis that the administration's policies created. Um, how do you grade her efforts as the border czar? Well, I mean, it's it's pretty clear she uh, doesn't want anything to do with it. It's, you could even say she she won't do the job that most Americans would do. Um, but she's just clearly avoiding responsibility for it because I think she thinks, and unfortunately, the Washington Press Corps will eventually help her, that if she doesn't do the job she was assigned, that she can say, well, I had nothing to do with this mess. Yeah. But I think that's, Americans are going to see right through that because she's part of this administration. She's got a, a, you know, a paper trail of her viewpoints on this. And I have no doubt that her and her people are actively involved in the policies being developed by the current administration. She just doesn't want the visual of a camera shot that can be used in a few years. Um, but yep. it's pretty clear that she just doesn't want to be attached to it. But the American people are smarter than that. It's um, uh, a fascinating dynamic, but uh, it, you know, we've seen some leaks out of the White House. We've talked to some people and it appears that uh, she is implementing the buck doesn't stop here strategy, yeah. even though Joe Biden made her the czar. I mean, the boss, president of the United States, told her to take care of this issue, and you're hard-pressed to find any engagement publicly or privately on the issue. It's, it's a pretty remarkable, a remarkable thing. Um, you know about so much else as well. Uh, you, you worked in Congress. You've been through the budget battles. You've been through security battles. I'm going to take you to a couple of places that are on a lot of people's minds. Um, Gas prices were rising, meat prices were rising, and then all of a sudden, the intelligence community tells us that Russian-backed hackers took a, a whack at a major meat producer and, of course, the Colonial Pipeline. When you look back at this, what do these recent cyber attacks say? Are they you know, a, an effort to try to meddle with uh, Joe Biden? Are they a sign of a, a, a new cyber warfare that we're just starting to see the full extent of, going back to the, the hack last year? Um, what What is the state of our defenses and why are, are these foreign actors getting so much penetration into our lives? I think that's a great question. It's very disconcerting and I don't know the answer to it. I, I would say that I think there's definitely a dimension of testing the fence with this current administration to see what they can get out of it. In fairness to them, I, I don't necessarily think they've done anything wrong yet, but I do think yeah. they run the real risk of not sending a strong signal saying, stop it, this is not okay. If they can't do that, you're going to see more attacks like this. And I, I think that the, the whole concept of cyber is very abstract to a lot of Americans until the gasoline goes up by 50 cents a gallon or beef goes up by a dollar a pound. Right. Um, and I, I, who know, and the, the wild card that's also something we really need to keep an eye on is if we don't send a strong signal as a nation that this is not okay and there will be repercussions, uh, what's to stop someone from trying something more ambitious, like trying to shut down a power grid or right. a nuclear power plant? And that's not a situation we want. I mean, I'll give the Biden administration the benefit of a doubt for now, but I think they just actually need to be stronger. And it's also very clear, by the way, that they're not prepared to put pressure on foreign governments 
that do a wink and a nod with these groups that reside within their border. But we've got a situation where we're pretty sure, based on what you said and what we've heard in unclassified settings, that these are people who are at least, if not supported, at least housed and you know given comfort in Russia. Yeah. And so it wasn't more than days after that initial assessment was made where um, President Biden waived the Nord Stream 2 pipeline for the Russians. And you've really got to ask yourself, did that send a terrible signal? Uh, I don't know, but I think they're going to have to get a little tougher, at least convey a public message like this is unacceptable. We will find you. Yeah, it's remarkable. I mean, uh, he, he gives them something that Donald Trump would never give them or Barack Obama wouldn't give them, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. And the Russians repay us with two big hacks in a row. And, you know, uh, to me, and I've talked to several intelligence people about this, they kind of interpret this. Listen, we're still waiting for the full intelligence, but this is right out of the KGB playbook. America already has rising gas prices. Let's hit their pipeline, make it worse. America has rising meat prices. Let's hit a plant and make it worse. Uh, all designed to, you know, create interruptions in the economy or cost to the American taxpayer and also erode confidence in their institutions, which is the KGB playbook. And yet we're rewarding the guy that you know, kind of wrote and, and, and runs the KGB playbook today, Vladimir Putin, by giving you know, a gas line. Are there contradictions early on that you see? I mean, one thing you can say about the Trump administration, you may disagree with their policies, but you knew where they stood. There was not any doubt. Um, are there these inherent contradictions in some of the early decisions of Biden? He shuts down an American pipeline, approves a, a Russian pipeline. Uh, he says he's uh, for law and order and then opens up the border uh, to a lawless order, uh, disorderly situation. What do you see in the consistency of the policy thus far four months in? Well, I mean, that's a good question. I, I, before I get to that, I would even say, you know, that the hyperbole and hyperventilation over the whole Russia situation over the last four years. <laughs> oh, yes. You think you think they'd be incredibly sensitive about appearing to give a benefit to the Russian government after something like that, but apparently not. Um, I I think that they are basically trying to undo everything we've done, and this is one of the. And I say I should say we. What I really have to remind people is. I'm no longer with government. I work for the America First Policy Institute. Right. That's at AmericaFirstPolicy.com. And uh, we are trying to basically preserve things that work. I think there was a time where it wasn't – people were okay in Washington, unfortunately Republicans as well, with things not working as long as they made – they got their payouts when they left office and so on. Uh, and, like, when you start shaking that tree, people get really angry at you. And I – I noticed that the Biden administration has invested some time in putting everything back exactly the way it was. Um, and I wonder why. You have to wonder. Um, you know, there were some Republicans who were happy to see Trump go. Why is that? What lucrative deals did they have in the works that he was going to get in the way of when they retired? Um, I think there's a system that is nonpartisan, that is fairly corrupt, that he was getting near and they were very unhappy with him. And that's how you can explain a lot of the hyperventilation over the last four years. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And um, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that hyperventilation ultimately manifests itself on, in the performance of America on security and economy. You know, yeah. love them or hate them, uh, Donald Trump's record of reducing poverty, reducing unemployment, strong economic growth, keeping the country from going into a full tailspin despite a COVID-19 pandemic, uh, getting tax cuts done, uh, silencing a border and bringing peace to the Middle East is, is pretty clear. I mean, there's a record and you can say, ah, man, the guy's personality drove me out, whatever, but the record is strong. And I think these uh, hyperbolic situations that have been going on, we're now going to see what record Biden, the Democrats, and some of the liberal Republicans are going to build with this round of policies. And I think the American people have very strong contrast to decide from which economy do we want, which border do we want, 
which um, approach to governance do we want? If, if I could say, Please. that's actually one of our goals because we have a unique opportunity probably for one of the, the few times in American history where you've got such a contrast in back-to-back -back administrations. We're going to be able to look very objectively, and that's our goal at AFPI, to look at things and say, look, well, what worked in this administration? What worked in previous administrations? What works in this administration? But I think you are going to see, realistically speaking, a very sharp contrast, and it's going to be easy to come to conclusions, say, look, this is what's best. And then we're going to work with federal, state, and local legislators and governors and AGs to make sure that they can help protect their states and their people against the federal overreach we're seeing in a lot of different areas. Yeah, that is so important. And, you know, what a, what a novel idea, getting to the American public the ideas that work, the data that shows it works so we can make better decisions. I think that's such a great outcome of what you guys are working there at uh, AFPI and specifically at your center. I want to go to one question because I think the 2022 election will probably uh, rest on this question. And I want to see if you agree with that. Um, you know, it was 40 years ago this year that Ronald Reagan gave his famous inauguration speech and said, uh, my fellow Americans, government isn't the solution. Government's the problem. And Joe Biden's budget, Joe Biden's early speeches, his early executive orders is literally the antithesis of that speech. My fellow Americans, government is going to be the solution for everything. We're going to decide what your kids should be learning about in school. We're going to decide when you can go on mask, when you can worship at church, and you can go through all those things. Um, do you think that uh, within the $6 trillion budget that Joe Biden just released, within the executive orders he released, within the policies that are now in place, that there is a contrast in 2022 that people are going to look at and say, either you're for big government or you're against it. If you're against it, you got to reject this administration. Is the scope, size, and capability of government on the ballot in 2022? The short answer is I think so, and I hope so. I mean, I, especially when you see things like, and I don't handle the labor and work portfolio at right. AFPI, but you couldn't help but notice that there was a, a federal pay increase across the board for most federal workers. Um, well, not only should we be shrinking the federal government dramatically, but this is at a time when people in the private sector are not only unemployed, if they if they're lucky enough to have a job, they're not seeing their wages rise, and most people, many people, are unemployed. Um, so it's just really kind of gross to see that happen. And I, I'm hoping people recognize that that it's it's easy to spend a lot of money when it's other people's money. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and I'm hope I'm hoping it's on the ballot, basically. <laughs> Yeah, no, it seems to me that that is going to be something we're all going to be talking about through your various roles at state and in a C and, and um, Homeland. Uh, I'm sure you looked at the COVID-19 security implications and there seems to be this, un just like there was in the Russia collusion story, which I played a big role in, uh, the reversal of that. There seems to be this extraordinary moment where like the Democrats, the established media said, you know, uh, we were wrong about that for a year and a half. Sorry about that. Yeah, this lab leak theory is real. China hasn't been a good actor. We need better answers. Uh, today, we have an amazing story where, you know, Anthony Fauci and his own emails are telling people, I need to know about this gain-of-function research in China. Well, he just testified a few weeks ago there was no gain-of-function research. Right. Um, do, how was it, uh, first of all, when you were in the government, there must have been some reason why President Trump and others like you thought the lab leak theory was real. Uh, and, and what does it say that an intelligence community and a, a public health sector could keep a bogus story alive for a year, and then just suddenly one day wake up and say, Hup, in reversal, Hup, we were wrong about that. I'm curious, what did you see first off? I mean, were, were you suspicious that China may have had a lab axiom trying to cover it up? And then two, what do you make of this reversal over the last three, four weeks by the Biden administration, starting with Avril Haines, the DNI? 
th those are good questions. I, I should say up front uh, that I was not involved in a lot of the, the COVID work or the task force work, but just from a, a general perspective, yeah. I think it was something that most intelligent people said it's plausible. I always get nervous when someone says something is absolutely positively not possible, um, especially when we're dealing with basically one of our largest global enemies. Right. And so that was just very strange. And I have to say there, there's a little bit of schadenfreude with what's happening to Dr. Fauci right now, um, who enjoyed... <laughs> Enjoyed celebrity more than being a doctor. Yeah. And catching up with him. Books, magazine so, covers, but, who knows what else. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I do think like we have to just, it, the smart thing to do in a situation like that is not rule anything out, not make accusations without having evidence, but also keep an open mind and keep doing homework and research. And I was always, I was, again, I was just automatically suspicious. We knew it came from China. Right. And we know they don't like us. And right. it's possible they have a weapons program. And you add all those things up without conclusive evidence of anything. And you have to keep an open mind. The fact that people were saying, don't look over here. This is not possible. Just made me more suspicious personally. Yeah, such a good point. It is. And I mean, just common sense things, which is don't lock into a theory until you have the evidence. I mean, every detective that goes to police academy, every, you know, good investigative journalist, you're told that don't lock into a theory, follow the facts. And then when the facts will lead you to the theory. And it seems as though someone created the theory and then tried to find the facts to fit it. When they didn't, they had to find the cry uncle, like what happened with Russia collusion and some of the other, the other stories. What are some of the things, um, as you start your job at the center, you know, you've actually been there for a while now, the Center for Homeland Security and Immigration at the America First Policy Institute. What are some of the things you're working on that you think will really benefit our listeners, the American public? Uh, what's some of the work that we should be watching for to come out this spring, summer, and fall? Uh, well, I, our center, the Center for uh, Homeland Security and Immigration, I'm the director of that center. We will right. be doing as much as we can to keep an eye on what's going on in the public domain and doing research, uh, working with friendly parties around the country, uh, connections from in and out of, you know, the administration and previous administrations to, to make a dent and produce good materials that people can use. I think our goal is to be different than the, what most think tanks are. In fact, I, I like to think of us not as a think tank, but a quote unquote do tank. Like our goal, <laughs> I want to get it done. I right? Want to yeah. right. And so uh, one of the most concrete ways you can do that is instead of just writing academic papers all the time, work with states and localities to produce legislation, executive guidance. Uh, they are going to be the bulwark for the next three and a half years of disaster. And so we have to be able to work with them. But I think that's the, the way is to work with, do research, be objective, be serious, and then work with the people who want to be serious also to help their people. It's just remarkable, uh, just remarkable. And um, I have, uh, you know, I've looked at this debate for a long time and, and, you know, the, there's a lot of demagoguery, particularly that goes on with the border and immigration. And, you know, one of the demagoguery things to say is that uh, if you oppose open borders, you're anti-immigrant. But in fact, one of the things that we hear day in and day out from the CPB officials on the, uh, the border, the chiefs, the, the executives of the agency, the frontline agents is the single biggest victims of an open border are immigrants themselves. Cause those trying to get here, end up getting trapped in human trafficking rings and, and uh, gang rings and, and drug trafficking in any desperate effort to get here, and they become victimized and large amounts of victimization. Um, uh, talk a little bit about what you learned and what you are learning and what you're seeing in this open border about young children, women, and others really being abused and victimized because the only way to get in this country is to rely on, on uh, traffickers and other um, uh, uh, unsundry uh, players. 
what you said is absolutely true. This is very dangerous for the people who are making these journeys and then who get here. And uh, I'm I actually on my way to the border right now to, to meet with some sheriffs and other people along the border. And one thing they see all the time, you've got private ranchers. They wake up in the morning, they look, they ride across their land, they find corpses. Wow. And then the, the sheriff, that town and that sheriff's office puts the bill for uh, the murder. those bodies and the yeah. murder or just they abandoned them and they died in the field. And then mm. there's an autopsy and there's a potter's field burial and people are paying. It's a real cost. It, lives are lost, but there's our other costs too. And then um, we, one thing we worked on, and uh, it's a large subject, but the, the short version of it is that there's an awful lot of uh, using HHS's office of Refu uh, refugee resettlement for human trafficking. Wow. And, uh, wow. We, we that's have, troubling. It's very troubling. And uh, you know, it's, it, we were there, so you're probably thinking, well, why don't you do anything about it? I, I could tell you story after story about our efforts to try. What we discovered, the, the bureaucrats were not interested in making sure these children were going somewhere safe. They just wanted to get them out the door. Uh, it was really funny because they would say things like, well, we don't have the money for continued housing. We have to get them the sponsors. The federal government spends $20 trillion a year. I'm yep. sure we could find a few bucks to keep them you would think housed so. for another week. Yeah, Right. But exactly. No, and they, act, they actively fought an effort of us to do a better job of vetting sponsors wow. because they don't care. They just don't care. And we know that thousands of these children have disappeared and nobody's asking that question. Where are they? How can that be uh, that we could not care about the most vulnerable members of our population? It is remarkable. This whole immigration debate, when you really study it and you talk to people, again, listen, I'm, I'm a journalist. I just listen to everybody. I don't have an opinion. But when you listen to the people who've experienced it, lived it, went through the human trafficking systems, uh, arrest people, pick up the bodies, rescue people in rivers, you find out that the open borders actually create greater victimization of the immigrants than the closed borders. It's a remarkable, or a secure border, I should say. Um, it's really remarkable that that gets lost in, in, this, um, in this debate. Uh, well, John, we are so excited for the work you're doing. We want to get you uh, to be a regular on the show because we, we care about this, and you're, you're putting together data, and you're putting together solutions. Um, I uh, really am grateful for the time today and also for the opportunity to hopefully stay in touch and continue to follow this issue with you. I'm grateful, sir, to you for your time. I'm available whenever you want me back. And again, the website we've got is AmericaFirstPolicy.com. AmericaFirstPolicy.com. Thank you, sir. All right, sir. Have a great day. You All right, think. folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, Bishop Audrey Shines is here to talk a little bit about all-star baseball and election politics in Georgia. You're not going to want to miss this conversation. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a very special guest, somebody that is a critical and influential voice in the conservative movement, the head of uh, the conservative clergy of color, a, uh, a pastor, a bishop, and a man of God, but also a man of truth. And we're so lucky also because he has a show every week on our partner network, Real America's Voice, called America Shines. You should watch it every Saturday. It is must-watch TV. Joining us now, Bishop Aubrey Shines. Aubrey, welcome to the show. 
Thanks, John. Always love being with you guys. It is an honor to have you. And you've been involved in so many things lately. I don't even know where to start to get caught up. But let me start with something that I think is one of the more interesting moments of the last couple of weeks. And that is, for a while, Major League Baseball, you know, they canceled the Atlanta game and they kind of walked away and there was no fallout from it, even though small businesses, many of them African-American businesses in Atlanta, paid a dear price. They had spent two years preparing to host the game. They were planning to make you know, upwards of $100 million to the economy of Atlanta. And then MLB got uh, uh, pushed by Stacey Abrams and they pulled out of the game. And there was no consequence until this week when uh, the small business group, Job Creators Network, filed a lawsuit against the Major League uh, Baseball Commissioner, against the Major League Baseball Union, uh, saying that they unconstitutionally and unlawfully punished the small businesses of Georgia what was your reaction to the lawsuit? And is this a good moment for all of Americans to realize there were true victims of this uh, MLB oh, yeah. decision? A absolutely, John. As a matter of fact, in full transparency, I really have every intention of uh, becoming part of that amicus brief as well uh, for the conservative clergy of color because uh, we're on the ground there. And we know some of the civic leaders, black, white, brown, all alike, and our eyes, and they realize there is not just an economic impact. I think what we're also seeing is what I call reverse discrimination. Yeah. Why is it that Americans don't realize that there is a talking point? And, John, that talking point basically is coming from one political camp, and that is a camp that historically has been very divisive, and that's called the Democratic Party. That's just a fact. And as a result of it, they're still trying to divide Americans based on race. And when we see individuals like Stacey Abrams, uh, that is not an elected official that could go into the Major League Baseball Commissioner's office and convince him, by the way, bogus insight, bogus info, bogus reality about some of these disparities, we must speak out against it. And that's just not black, brown, white. I'm talking about all of us as Americans speaking out against this type of atrocity. I just think as America, we can do better. Yeah, I think we certainly can. And it's really remarkable because this debate evolves around something that has me confused. When I go to an airport, um, Latino, African-American, white travelers pull out their ID to get on a plane. When I go to buy a six pack of beer or wine at the store, I've got to pull out my ID. When I had to take my SAT test well, so many centuries ago when I was a young guy, I had to pull out my ID, my license. No one ever said to me then or today that that was a racist requirement. If I were black, this would be discriminating against me. I never hear that. In fact, most people are glad that their IDs checked so we get the right person. How did asking for an ID to vote become Jim Crow too, as Joe Biden said it? Well, I find it interesting, John, that it became Jim Crow too. Case in point, I lived in the city of Atlanta. I worked for Coca-Cola. I worked for IBM. And that was 100,000 years ago. And even then, <laughs> I still had to have an ID to get into the city. The building, area. right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, again, I, I echo your sentiment. Why is it racist? Why is it Jim Crow point 2.0? It's simple. It's the same political party. And I think this is what Americans really do realize, is that you have one political party that was behind Jim Crow laws. Who was that? That was the Democratic Party. On my show on Saturday at 1 p.m., I'm actually interviewing Vernon Jones, a guy who's going to run for the governorship there. Yeah. And I ask him basically the same question. He, like so many other white and black Americans, feel the same. 
it's a real sense of what I call soft bigotry. What it implies is that black and brown people, for some reason, uh, they don't have the mental acumen to be able to participate in society without the help, the tutelage, the mentoring of white liberals. Well, that's real Jim Crow 2.0. And again, from one party, the party that gave us the KKK, the party that fought against the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment, the party that still tells you even in 2021, if you don't vote Democrat, you're really not black. It's the same malarkey that we've been hearing every four years. And I'm glad, honestly, John, to see black and white Americans putting their hands together saying, we're not taking this silly stuff any longer. We're going to continue to fight against it. It is a remarkable, and you've been at the forefront of that. Uh, I, I bet a lot of our listeners don't know the important work uh, that the conservative cler clergy of color has done under your tutelage, under your leadership, but it's bringing together this remarkable coalition to fight this kind of reverse racism, this a new form of racism, soft bigotry that's it's creeping across the country, whether it's in our school system or in our uh, debate over election laws. Tell us a little bit about the group and what it's been able to accomplish in such a short period of time. Uh, quite a bit. So one of the things that I was able to do as the CEO, I put out a book several months ago, by the way, that hit number two on Amazon, and that was Eight Questions About Race. We began to do a compilation. We found statistically that the lies that were perpetrated in the 1800s are the same lies that are being used today. And when we looked at groups like CNN, MSNBC, the Democratic Party, we found a consistent thematic uh, theme throughout, and that is let's divide America by race. And if we can make people hate each other, then we'll always look suspicious at one another. Our group began to tackle that. We simply began to say, let's have an intellectual, open dialogue on these topics. Well, fast forward. What we learn in that experiment, most of the mainstream media outlets, they literally would say, we're not interested in having you. Why? Simple. Not because you cannot articulate the views historically, not because we had some revisionist historical account of America. They didn't fit or we did not fit their criteria. They needed someone that they could softball, someone that they believe should fit the narrative, the model in which they were looking for. What CCC, Conservative Clergy of Color, has done, we crossed the ethnic line. We simply said, listen, we're Americans. And regardless of your ethnicity, that has to be second, third, way down on the list. We believe in God. We believe in this country. We believe in being patriotic. And what we believe is that all men have been given something very special by God. That is what CCC does. This is why we're out in the forefront. And by the way, to your listeners that may not know, of all the clergy in the United States of America, there was only one, I repeat one, that was listed in Hillary Clinton's book, Why She Did Not Win. And you're talking to him. That was me. She listed me wow. by name. Yeah, simply because I exposed in a six-minute video. I remember the that. history. Yeah. You were, and listen, you and I both know that really made her upset. So people like Hillary Clinton, John Oliver, HBO, they began to mock the work that I was doing. Again, never intellectually challenging me. Nope. Just simply, Not on the facts. No, never the facts. Just call me a name make sure that I was in the mind of many, just kind of uh, put them down some kind of way. Never said what I said was, was unethical and, or again, not fact-based. So this is the work of CCC. This is why I believe, John, we're having the type of success that we're having.
you are. I mean, people are talking about it. There have been op-eds that were all in the headlines, all the work you're doing. It sounds like you're going to be joining this lawsuit on behalf of the businesses of Atlanta that got hosed by the MLB decision. Really impactful work. And it's a counter narrative that is so widespread. It's, it's so funny. I, I brought many African-American leaders on the show recently. I'm out in the community a lot talking and most African-Americans are scratching their head at, at the moment here. Well, I, I, I was with a business owner the other day. I went to pick up a, 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 a chainsaw blade and he's an African-American small business owner. And, and I, I went to go get my chain uh, sharpened and came back and he asked me, you know, I've been reading a little bit of what you're talking about. And can, can you explain to me why you guys in Washington all think that America is an inherently racist country? I'm like, I don't think that. And he said, well, but the government's preaching it now and saying our kids have to learn that this whole new critical race theory, which by the way, offends a lot of uh, people across all spectrums. Do you, as someone who grew up in the South, who, who faced, I'm sure, and saw real discrimination, uh, do you believe that America has been an inherently racist country and is so today? No. So background. I actually am a northern kid out of the suburbs. That's right. However, my father, my father, John, did grow up in a very segregated South. Let me tell you what I never heard my father say. Never anything with the racial epithet connected to it. As a matter of fact, my, my dad, even though he's deceased now, is in some of the historical business uh, books in the city of Chicago because of the success of his business. I asked my father once, and it answers your question in this regard, Dad, why didn't you teach us? And I shared with him what a black school teacher had taught me in high school. And I said, Dad, did these things happen? I was shocked that he knew it. And he ended up saying to me, John, absolutely. I said, well, why didn't you say these things to us? We knew a lot. He said, it's simple. He said, it's simple, Aubrey. Understand this. It's not what a person calls you. It's what you answer to. He said, I never. Wow. Those are profound words. Yeah. 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 And I, I, I had to put it forward in my book regarding that. So when I hear about the systemic racism, I often think of the article, the op-ed that I did that landed in the Washington uh, Post. And it was simple. I said, is there systemic racism? Absolutely. But I gave its genesis. Here's the genesis. It came from a political party that wanted to deny blacks the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendment. It came from the same political party that gave us the KKK, Jim Crow laws. Same political party, by the way, that will tell you, even in 2021, if you don't vote for us, you are not really black. Is there systemic racism? Absolutely. And it seems to continue its origins belief, and its DNA is still alive and well, unfortunately, in the Democratic Party. This is why, John, I do the work that I do, because we're exposing it. We're making sure that Americans don't see themselves as racially divided. And I tell you a very common denominator that anyone can follow. I've studied the behavioral part of this. If you want to know how a society really thinks, unlike Joe Biden, don't look at the commercial. Look at the facts. Here are the facts. 30, 40, 50 years ago, single digits of Americans believed that blacks and whites should marry. That's always an indicator of race in any country in society. Well, guess what? Those numbers don't even exist anymore. You know what people look for even in a marriage? Compatibility. Someone that will understand what they like and what they don't like. Race is at the bottom of that behavioral common denominator. So when I hear about the systemic racist, it's only the racists that keep talking about racism that I believe are the true racists. It's it's remarkable. And, you know, I, I'm a, been a student of history. I love history and you know, the speech that Martin Luther King gave 
in Washington, the, the, the proclamation that he longed for a day when people would no longer be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character resonates with anyone. You, you can be white, black, Asian, Hispanic, Latino, whatever it is, you, you understand that that is something we should all strive for. And today, I think most people don't want to start with of oh, that person's color of the skin at all. They just say, hey, that's a fellow American, good business guy, good athlete, whatever it is. Yeah. But there seems to be one party that keeps trying to get us to focus on the colors of our skin again. I'm confused by it. What, what, what good comes from that right now? Well, I tell you what good comes from it, and I kind of remember some of the quotes of Booker T. Washington. He said, and I kind of paraphrase some of his quote, he said, there's a group of people that don't want the race issue to ever be solved. He says, why? He says, because it makes them prevalent. It makes them and keeps them with a, a paycheck. So when I look at guys like Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, Stacey Abrams, and others and the Democratic Party, every four years I hear the same silly rhetoric as I have since I've been a child, and that is, we're racist. America's racist. And what I find just pure irony here, John, is this. When Barack Obama, three branches of government under his political party, they never, ever brought up the issue of reparations, never dealt with the issue of racism. But the moment, the moment that they sense that they're losing power, all of a sudden, we're racist. We got to be divided. We, 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 and he, he, always the same thing, John. It's always the same group. A bunch of black liberal and white liberals that come together that they now become what I call the messiahs of our society. They become the <laughs> saviors and they do it for a reason because they realize that Americans are not buying it. Unfortunately, they continue to sell it. And by the way, they get a great investment on the mainstream media outlets. They sure do, they, don't they? Free pass. Is, yeah, this is why they hate. And I do literally mean that word hate. They hate groups. They hate individuals like myself like yourself, that we see ourselves as American. Now, for those that say, well, you have to see white and black, because I see a color doesn't mean that that color denotes a certain behavior pattern. If I believe that, then I would have to believe in what Joe Biden says, and that is, if you're black, then you got to vote the way that he thinks. Well, I don't. I don't subscribe to it. And I think even in this past election, John, you saw the majority of Americans, by the way, an increase of black and brown Americans that literally voted for Donald J. Trump. Those are facts. That's not my opinion. That is black and brown and white Americans actually divorcing themselves of that race narrative. It is. It is remarkable. Listen, your new show is amazing. I'm a huge fan of it. I watch it every week and tell folks how they can watch America Shines and what you're doing on there. I think last week you had a great uh, historical lesson that I, I just, you know, thought, wow, what a, we got to give that to every kid in America. Talk a little bit about uh, what you're doing with America Shines. So what we're trying to do, and I owe you and your audience need to know it because you're just so humble on things. I want everyone on John's podcast to understand it was John Solomon Aww. that actually came up. He doesn't like what I said, but <laughs> you're I, right. I have to give kudos to, we're kudos Thank to you. you. John came up with a great name for a show. He introduced me to it several months ago. He said, hey, Aubrey, what do you think about this? And I think the name of the show should be called America Shines. My, my mouth dropped open. So what are we doing <laughs> on the show? We're echoing the heartbeat of John, who's a great American, oh, by the way. And what you. we're simply doing is we're shining the light on historical evidence. Again, I did a show the other week about the Palestinian lie. Yeah. There's no such thing. And again, I gave the history. I gave the archaeological, uh, archaeological findings that were part of it. This week, I'm dealing with Vernon Jones because he's running for the governor. And we have black and white and brown guests that come on on a weekly basis that we see ourselves as American. This is what we're doing. We're shining the light. It's upbeat. Nothing sad about it. 
we find it to be very informative, finding so many people are catching it. And I hope everyone listening uh, will join us. One o'clock Saturdays, Eastern Standard Time, I believe it'll be a treat. And I just only could hope and pray that everyone will begin to share uh, that show with everyone. I do too. Folks, watch it this weekend. It is going to be amazing. Vernon Joan is one of my favorite interviews, a Democrat who became a Republican and says he didn't leave his party. His party left him. I love that line. Uh, Channel 219 on the Dish Network, Channel 240 on the Pluto Network. You can watch it live on Just the News just by clicking on the TV tab. Uh, It is absolute must-watch TV. I always feel like every week, Aubrey, when I'm done, I, I walk away with something like, I'm taking that to the water cooler, the dinner table. Uh, it's just, there's, it, there's, it's full of facts. It's full of uh, uh, optimism, too. You know, we have so much hatred and anger, and uh, I think people are profiting off the anger and hatred. You have that optimism, that, that uh, love for fellow man. You, find, you always find the good in people, though you're not unwilling to call out the, the, the bogus uh, stuff that goes on in the world. But that optimism is absolutely infectious. And if you haven't watched this show Check it out. It is the best show on TV. It's just fantastic. One last question for you, Aubrey. People probably may have heard for the first time today, uh, the conservative clergy of color. How do people track the work that you're doing there, the very important work, like when you get involved in this lawsuit soon? Yeah. So I would love for all of your guests to come out and visit me. Two sites, one, AubreyShine.com and or just go out to conservative clergy of color. Spell it out, conservativeclergyofcolor.org. You can find on a wide range of topics that are out there. Again, we're just kind of shining the light. I think, John, that God has given all of us an opportunity to do better. I just choose not to focus on the glass being half empty. I'm more of an optimist. I believe that our best days can be ahead of us if we work together, black, brown, and white. I believe it can happen. I do too. And I think a majority of Americans do too. That's why your show is so important. You're connecting with the the true spirit of America. Great show, great group, and doing important work, folks. Please follow Aubrey Shines. Watch his show. I am this Saturday, I guarantee you. And uh, we're going to get him back on the show soon because he's involved in so many important things. Bishop Shines, I can't thank you enough. You are a very special man. We are blessed to have you on this podcast today. Thanks again, John. Love being with you guys. You too. We'll talk soon. Okay. Uh, Aubrey Shines, Bishop Shines, what a what a thoughtful man. What a um, common sense sounding Man of God. Very lucky to have him on the show. All right, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. We've got one more guest. I know you got two. You're thinking, no, Don's not going to give me a third. We are. Third guest today, Rogan O'Hanley. We always love him, particularly on a Friday. He brings life into the weekend. We'll be with him in just a few seconds right after this commercial break. (sighs) The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, one of the real special friends of this show, I just love bringing him on, his insights, his analysis, his get it right down to the point that matters is unlike anyone that we're blessed to interview on the show. His name is Rogan O'Hanley. You know him maybe as DC Drano on social, but he is one of the great intellects in the conservative movement. Rogan, welcome back to the show. 
Well, thank you very much for having me on, John, and you're too kind with those words. I appreciate it. Well, they have the benefit of being true. That's the good part about it. We'd like to speak the truth on this show, and and you do too, I know. Um, I want to focus in on one of the iconic characters in our life the last 18, 20 months or so. For me, he's been a character in my life for 20 years because I've been doing reporting on Anthony Fauci since the late 90s and exposed a lot of his earlier problems in AIDS research and other things that went through his division at NIH. But, um, you know, the Anthony Fauci of 2020 gave us quite a few uh, instructions, wear masks, uh, China didn't create this virus, it was a natural occurring virus, uh, go on a cruise ship, don't go on a cruise ship, we can go through all the flips and the flops. But now, the core uh, statements he made to us during the pandemic look to be falling apart. These new emails that came out this week directly show that in the earliest days of the virus, he was told by really preeminent immunologists that this virus did, did not look like it was naturally occurring. And his first instinct was to get his deputy to go and find out, hey, did we do some gain of function research in China? It was urgent. In fact, it was so urgent, he's like, keep your phone on. We've got to get this resolved today. And that has remained a secret for 15, 16 months. Now it's all sitting on in plain view. What is your take on Dr. Anthony Fauci? Well, you summed it up very well, and, uh, you know, it is no surprise to people that follow me or people that are familiar with, you know, conservatives in the last, well, since COVID started, that we have not been a fan of Dr. Fauci. There was a very strong tension between he and President Trump from day one. He is, you know, your classic swamp rat. I think he was one of the highest, if not the highest paid person in government, which is an atrocity. And frankly, when it comes down to it, the, you know, what happened, what he did, what he neglected, what he lied about, what he encouraged on the American people, in my opinion, not only uh, should lead to his early retirement, but I think he should be criminally investigated. And I'm not just saying that in a political pundit sense. I'm saying this guy is responsible for one of the worst atrocities that this country has ever experienced with these crazy lockdowns, mask mandates, you know, almost uh, forced vaccinations, um, and just, you know, the just lying to the American public about the origins of this disease, his involvement with the disease, what the disease actually was, its lethality, its uh, contagiousness, its asymptomatic spread, you know, whether or not kids should have masks in schools. I mean, he is the linchpin. He was the the, you know, I, I saw a meme. He was Dr. Fauci is Jesus to people that don't believe in God. Uh, <laughs> and as we know far too well in the Bible, when you try and substitute God with false idols, it usually leads to disastrous consequences, which is exactly what we're seeing here. Yeah, it's just America. I mean, one of the most amazing things was his acknowledgement late last year that for a period of time he was lying to Americans. He was giving them bad numbers in hopes of scaring them into good behavior. Uh, when we hear that from our public officials, those who are our employees, I mean, as taxpayers, we're the employers, the ultimate employers of government officials. When a man admits that he was lying uh, and misleading the American public, even for good intent or bad intent, whatever it is, uh, we ought to be suspicious. And now we, you know, there's this epic moment in Congress a few weeks ago where three or four times Rand Paul tried to pin down, um, Senator Rand Paul tried to pin down Fauci. Did the NIH fund gain-of-function research in China. And it's no, absolutely not, did not, didn't happen, nope, did not. 
And now we see these emails where his deputy is saying in honor around February 1st, 2020, hey, there was some gain of function research. It looks like it was uh, done before there was a ban. And then we sanctioned it. We approved it afterwards by NIH. I don't, I don't know how he's going to reconcile his testimony with his contemporaneous emails. The, the big question for us is that, you know, in a pandemic, we need to be able to trust our public health officials. We need to believe that the advice they're giving it to us is rational, honest, truthful, and transparent. And I wonder if right now, uh, do you believe Americans, a majority of Americans still believe Dr. Fauci and would trust him for the next medical advice if we needed it? Absolutely not. And I think that goes not just for him, but for the CDC, especially for the World Health Organization. Um, and, you know, for, for the media, it's just another drop in the bucket of their illegitimacy for, uh, you know, Democrat politicians, especially, um, and, and, and big tech. I mean, they, there was a massive collusion, and, and we saw it in the emails. You know, Mark Zuckerberg was messaging Dr. Fauci, what can I do to help you? Uh, you know, there's emails between Dr. Fauci and Bill Gates. I mean, the, the cast of characters here, some of the most powerful people on planet Earth, and they all colluded to do one thing and one thing only, get rid of Trump. Let's be honest. That's what this was. Uh, when, when you look at all their, uh, you know, criminal actions through the lens of how does this help get rid of Trump, everything starts to make sense. You know, there's this one email in that batch, it was from uh, a very renowned uh, medical professional, I believe at UPenn, and he kind of laid it out. Oh, you know, listen, this is a coronavirus. It really is only going to affect old people and immunosuppressed people. Let's just keep them isolated. There's no need to go after young people. Right. Get nothing more than the sniffles. And he completely ignored it. And I mean, that was the recipe for handling this disease. And that's largely the DeSantis model. So you know, the people they, they uh, uh, glorified during this, these lockdowns, uh, Fauci, Cuomo, Newsom, you know, uh, Newsom's getting recalled yeah. and Whitmer. Uh, Whitmer's going to be getting recalled. Cuomo's uh, getting investigated. And Fauci, you know, had his book pulled because of, you know, all these email leaks. So the truth did come out eventually. But unfortunately, I think there's going to be very long lasting damage to our public health institutions as a result of these lies and fraud. Yeah. And, you know, listen, I, I love doctors. I've, I've had a son with, you know, serious medical issues and doctors do amazing things every day with their hands, their brains, their compassion, their ability to get a family through a crisis. But the number one uh, rule of a doctor is to do no harm, to uh, always take the patient's best interest at heart. And when we look at this now, we have to wonder whether the patient, the American citizenry, was really considering this, whether whether you believe it's a political ploy or a, you know, I don't trust Americans to do the right thing, so I'm going to scare them into doing it. Lying to patients is one of the things that we, we believe our doctors will never do to us. And uh, it's starting to look like our public health officials gave us a big lie. We know Andrew Cuomo gave us a big lie. We now know that Gretchen Whitmer underreported the nursing home deaths herself. Uh, we know that uh, many of these governors ordered us to do things that they themselves wouldn't do. The next time a medical crisis comes along, is there a danger that the American public is going to say, you know what, you sold me a bill of goods last time, I'm not listening. Is that one of the long-lasting dangers here? 
Well, I think there is a danger to the credibility of our, you know, government officials uh, in terms of what we listen to. I will say, you know, Patriots, the the MAGA base, a solid 35, 40 percent of this country was not fooled by all of this. They, you know, refused to simply line up and put on their mask and, you know, expose their shoulder for a shot. They, uh, you know, looked at the data. Um, and, and I feel like it'll even be more so in the next, uh, you know, kind of viral outbreak. Uh, you know, it, to me, it's also a real shame to see what they did to the whistleblowers in the medical yeah. community. Um, you know, nurse Erin Olszewski uh, took undercover footage of New York hospitals during the worst of the pandemic and wrote a book about it. She was on Tucker Carlson showing how they were just stuffing non-COVID infected patients into the same room as COVID infected patients. Yeah. And that doesn't even get to the nursing home scandal. Mm. Um, Dr. Simone Gold, Dr. Stella Manuel, they talked about hydroxychloroquine. These are not uh, crackpot doctors. You know, Dr. Simone Gold went to Stanford Law. She went to, I believe, UCLA Medicine. There's another doctor there, uh, Dr. James, I want to say Mick Taylor or something, but he, he was at Columbia Med. You know, I, I helped film these guys on the footsteps of the United States Supreme Court. The video went right. viral, I believe, was the most viral video in Facebook history. It had 20 million views in six hours before it was deleted by non-medical professionals in big tech. So um, there, there is a massive, massive, uh, you know, litany of problems that needs to be uncovered here, or sorry, fixed, uh, namely being, you know, free speech on social media. If we had free speech on social media, a lot of this would have been avoided, but you could have been kicked off social media for just trying to organize an anti-lockdown right. protest. Yeah, no, there, there's no doubt the censorship on this. We had newspapers that said the COVID-19 lab origin theory was debunked. It was never debunked. In fact, it was always plausible. What we've learned now from the work of great work of Devin Nunez and Justin News and other people have been working on this all along while we were being told it was debunked, the uh, scientific community, starting with Lawrence Livermore Lab, pretty, pretty prestigious place, one of our best government labs in the world, we're saying, listen, the lab theory is plausible. You see Fauci getting emails from you know, some of the top doctors in the world saying, hey, this virus doesn't act like a natural evolutionary virus. There are changes in its characteristic and genome that look like it might be engineered. The theory was always there. And we were lied to. We were censored. We were made fun of. We were called conspiracy nuts. And the only consequence now is, well, Dr. Fauci keeps his job. Uh, uh, Governor Cuomo, for his hiding of the nursing home desk, is going to get taxpayers to pay his legal bills. He's not even willing to use his campaign funds. Taxpayers are going to foot the bill for his bad judgments. Um, what does it say that these permanent bureaucrats don't ever get punished for bad conduct? If we were in the private sector, we'd all be fired for these things. 100%. And if you know you aren't part of the kind of D.C. elite, you'd, you'd probably even get in institutional trouble. You know, we've seen the FBI and DOJ actually do their jobs when it's a political enemy. But when it's a political ally, they love to turn the other way. And yeah. you know, Democrats, especially when it comes to emails, Hillary's emails, Hunter Biden's emails, Fauci's emails, they, they when we have smoking gun proof, there's never really anything done about it. Um, you know, and, and I've been a very outspoken critic of our law enforcement institutions in D.C. I know there are a lot of good, hardworking, ethical men and women in the lower ranks, but it's the senior ranks that need to be absolutely cleaned out. You know, if I were 
you know, if President Trump does run again or if it's Ron DeSantis or whomever, one of the biggest things I want them to do is fire 10,000 people on day one. 10,000 uh, deep state, you know, the top of the leadership across the board, uh, you know, push our federal government institutions, you know, relocate them throughout the country. They, they you know, we, we do similar things with the military, right? They are not stationed for more than three years at yeah. any base. And they move on. Prevent any type of collusion. And we need to do the same with our civilian workforce. Why are we giving all these jobs to, you know, Northern Virginia, Washington, D.C.? Why don't we send some of them to New Mexico and Colorado and stuff? There, there needs to be a serious, serious overhaul of our, uh, you know, D.C. bureaucracy. Um, it, it, you know, people on the right are certainly fed up. I think it's the, the moderates and independents that are suddenly waking up to the uh, toxic corruption of our institutions is, is the real problem. So, um, you know, it, it, again, it, it's just more of the same, uh, you know, corruption without accountability. And at some point, this will boil over into what context, I don't know. But um, it certainly is extremely frustrating. It really is. You know, I was talking to an agent the other day at the FBI, career agent, one of the best. He had especially that very few people had. He solved a lot of crimes. And I said, what do you make of your old employer? And he said, you know what? I was always proud to wear the FBI badge because I thought it stood for Federal Bureau of Investigation. But what it really stands for is famous but incompetent FBI famous, but incompetent. And I thought, wow, mm -hmm. that's coming from a G man who worked there. And he says the generation that now leads the FBI uh, doesn't resemble those of us who got in the, the business 30, 40 years ago to solve crimes without political outcome to just follow the facts. Now we follow objectives and politics and try to squeeze the facts into false narratives. And I, I, I just, I, I step back for a second. Oh my God, what, a, what an analysis, what an astute analysis of what we saw the FBI do over the last three or four years. Um, really, really a tragic circumstance all around. Um, since we depressed everybody now, we, we told them about <laughs> the problems. Uh, what are you looking forward to this summer? What is this summer for you, for most Americans? Is it the summer of freedom and liberty and getting back to normalcy or the summer of more craziness? Oh, I think it's absolutely freedom and, and liberation and uh, vindication for, for a lot of people, you know, this week, I, I, I think this is probably the worst week that, that Biden has had, uh, you know, the Biden uh, administration or regime. Um, th this is uh, probably got to be the worst of the worst because we already had the uh, rising gas prices, lumber, food prices, the border crisis, uh, instability in the Middle East. And now you have the head honcho of the entire uh, COVID you know, lockdown machine being exposed for his lies. So I, you know, Biden really didn't have much going for him, but a lot of people I'm talking to, you know, I've been in Nashville recently right. and I've never seen it more crowded. Um, you know, the videos I post about it are, they go extremely viral. People are tired of these lockdowns. They, they, are, there's almost a renewed sense of the American spirit that we are no longer going to abide by these edicts, by these uh, tyrannical pushes. And, and frankly, I'm very happy to see the, you know, the repercussions against people like Newsom and Cuomo, even in these deep blue states, yep. you know, even in New York. I mean, you've got Democrat officials coming out, speaking out against Cuomo. And, you know, Newsom is trying to do everything he can to bribe the people of California before his uh, bell gets rung. So, 
Uh, you know, there, there's absolutely that. But I think the number one thing I'm looking forward to is these election audits and the results of them and which states uh, initiate them. It really seems like this snowball is starting to pick up strength and speed moving downhill. Uh, I don't know that it can be stopped. It's unfortunately way overdue. But at the very least, we are going to get the truth. Uh, regardless of what happens after that. And I think that's extremely important for the, you know, timelines of history. Yeah, absolutely. Truth. And, you know, all these bogus scandals, all these fake infringements of freedom and reputation, because many people's reputations have been ruined by cancel culture and then they're later exonerated. They were falsely canceled or uh, unfairly canceled. Uh, the great arbiter is the final uh, assemblage of facts because facts are a stubborn thing and, and give credit to the American public, Democrat, Republican, independent, whatever you are. They usually will honestly look at the facts and try to make an honest call. And uh, I think you're right. I think uh, I've been thinking about this as this may be the summer of vindication for all of those like yourself uh, who, who were attacked for telling the truth. And uh, maybe that'll be something uh, really worth celebrating along with our personal freedom back to go to go where we want, how we want, worship where we want and uh, not tell the, have the government tell us how to do it. Rogan, we are so grateful every time you come on the show, you bring a sense of clarity, a sense of common sense and, uh, and an optimism that I, I just love. And I can't wait to get you back on soon. Uh, thank you. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me on, John. And God bless all the patriots listening. Uh, keep up the hope. The tides are definitely turning. I can feel it. A lot of other people I know are feeling it. Uh, you know, there's a reason they're cracking down on us so hard is because they know, uh, you know, once you waken the American majority, the common sense patriot majority, it's really hard to put that back to sleep. So stay tuned. Amen. I think there's going to be a lot to be covered on that front. All right, Rogan, have a great weekend. Thank you so much. Thank you too. All right, folks, we'll be back in just a few seconds to wrap things up for the weekend. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, folks, it is weekend time. All right, pop out the beer, turn on the music, get ready to have some good time with your family and your friends. The weather is here, summer's here, and uh, it is time. You know what? If you're in that summer mode like I am, I don't know what happened about two, three weeks ago, I just switched on to summer, and whether it's making sure I got my pair of shorts ready for the weekend uh, to go outdoors or to uh, go swimming or hiking or walking, uh, mowing the lawn, getting the gardens out, putting the mulch in, get some flowers going. I got a bad case of summeritis, and I could tell you the best way to cure it. You know how to hit that spot? So then you're not craving summer, you're living summer. Here's what you do. You go to KansasCitySteaks.com. You take advantage of the Just the News offer that we have there, and you get the best sizzling steaks and meats and side dishes and food you ever had. I mean, listen, dads and grilling, right? They go hand in hand. And Father's Day is coming up. You want to know what a great gift for your father is? Get him some Kansas City steak products so his grill is full for the whole summer. That's what I'm doing for my dad. And, oh, God, he might be listening. I just gave up the gift. You know what? I don't think he cares. He loves Kansas City steaks. 
He's one of the many members of my family that buy it. And if you want to make Father's Day special for your dad, if you just want an excuse to get steaks for yourself or for the big barbecue party you're planning soon at your house this summer, go to KansasCitySteaks.com right now, KansasCitySteaks.com, and you're going to get 15% off your order plus free shipping just by using the code just news all one word just news no that in it all right kansascitysteaks.com just news all one word you use that at checkout you put that in the code box and you're getting 15 percent off and free shipping plus the best grilling foods you could possibly ever had you're going to make your dad happy for father's day you're going to make your friends happy in the neighborhood because you should invite him over and have a barbecue you haven't seen him for a year y'all been locked up in the dungeon of this COVID crisis, have them over for a ribeye or uh, a tender filet mignon. How about uh, some combos? A lot of different combos they got. The best steaks. You know what? I'm going online right after this show and restocking my freezer because I drew it down. I got to go get some more. All right, one more time. KansasCitySteaks.com, 15% off uh, and free shipping. If you use the code JUSTNEWS, all one word, at checkout. What a gracious offer. For Just the News fans, John Solomon Reports fans, it is time. Let's call it a week. Let's wrap it up. Hey, we're going to stay on this Fauci story, we promise you. And next week, I've got a funny feeling. We're going to have some breaking news on Hunter Biden and on a, a case that I've been personally following, the Ahmad Zuberi convicted fundraiser. His case, the possibility that he was working for the CIA while doing all of this fundraising for Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, the possibility that maybe there was something weird going on in the Justice Department on this. I've been working on this for weeks. We're going to have new documents, new revelations. Buckle your seatbelt. Next week will be a chance for me to dust off my byline, do some investigative reporting, bring some accountability to two really interesting stories. The case of convicted fundraiser Ahmad Zaberi and... You got it. Hunter Biden. Uh-oh. New documents. New revelations. You're going to want to see these. All right. Uh, that wraps it up, folks. We are deeply gracious for all of your support, for your listenership, your readership, your viewership, whether you're watching our TV shows. We're grateful. Have a great weekend. God bless you. God bless this incredible country, the United States of America. As he always has, you've been listening to John Solomon Reports, the podcast from justthenews.com.